0: All right. Grab your outline. Let's pray and we'll dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. We thank you for your word that's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you for everybody who came out tonight to be here, together, together. As your word tells us, to forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. So Lord, be glorified tonight. Less of me, more of you. May your Holy Spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. I was just talking the other day that I've been with my company 32 years, and I counted it. I've had 18 different managers. And every time I get a manager, they all have a different way that they lead. And I was thinking about that because we're moving from Solomon, who died at the end of the last chapter, uh, and now we're going to see that his son, Rehoboam, is being raised up, as the next king. Now, Rehoboam, I don't think he knows that he's not getting the whole kingdom. I think he's going to find out tonight. But, but his father, Solomon, was told, remember, because Solomon, he, was, he, 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 you know, he had the three areas where he blew it. He multiplied gold, he multiplied chariots, he multiplied wives, and more importantly than all of those, he began to worship their gods. And God righteously judged him and told him because he had not obeyed as he had been commanded to in the beginning when he became king, that the kingdom would be ripped from him. But for the sake of David, they would hold on to Judah. And we're going to talk about that more tonight. But we're going to find out that Rehoboam thinks he's going to be the king of all 12. And we're going to see some lessons on how Christians, how we are called to lead and serve each other. But we're going to see that those examples are failed miserably in tonight's text. First of all, servant leadership. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. True leaders are a blessing and not a burden to others. You know, when people serve, when people lead, they should. if you cannot serve, you should never lead. Amen? And we're going to see in tonight's text that the reality is that pastor means servant. And we're going to see that he takes a totally different perspective. He's going to be very arrogant and he's going to, Learn from his dad, but not in the right way. Secondly, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. We're going to see again tonight that the way that we lead, the way that we exemplify Christ is to serve others. Thirdly, if we're going to lead others, we need to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. But often those who want what they want will keep going to counselors till they find what they want to hear. We're going to kind of hear that in Rehoboam tonight. He's going to get godly counsel. He's going to ignore it. And then he's going to go hang out, go see his buddies, and get the wrong counsel, and he's going to do it. And it's really important that you think about who you get counsel from. Because if you 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 get counsel from the wrong people, you're going to be headed in the wrong direction. Number four, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Love and respect are demanded, not, are not demanded, but they are earned. If someone demands that you respect them, they, they have not earned your respect. Some, respect is something that is given freely. When you get to know somebody's character, you find out who that person is, and then you choose to respect them. We're going to see Ray Bohm tonight kind of demanding it. We're going to see how that works out. We are to obey God rather than man. We're not to follow the examples of men. We're not to follow the demands of men. We're not to operate based on what we think men need or want to hear. God's word overrules the desires of the king. We'll see that tonight because the king is going to go over the line and we're going to see that men are going to choose to obey God rather than men. And then finally, fear God, not man. We operate in faith, not in fear. Trust in the calling God has placed on your life and don't seek to please men. We're going to see in tonight's text... That one of the kings that gets to 10 northern kingdoms, Jeroboam, is going to change worship. Because he's afraid if the people go down to Jerusalem, they might not come back. That sounds like pastors today who are afraid to let their people out or afraid or, you know, they'll try to have a better show so they can draw more people instead of making disciples. And we'll see that example in tonight's text. So let's begin there in 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning there in verse 1. Before we do, remember David died, Solomon became king. During the 40 years of Solomon's reign, he built the temple. He was faithful to do that. He built a magnificent palace uh, that I think he went overboard. We'll talk about that tonight. He became the wealthiest man on the planet. He was known for his great wisdom, but he also had 700 wives, 300 concubines, many of whom were not worshipers of the Lord. And when he is old, his many wives turned his heart away and God warned that the kingdom would be torn from the house of David. Solomon multiplied gold, he multiplied chariots, he multiplied wives, he set up altars on the Mount of Olives to his wives' false gods, and the kingdom was torn away from his descendants. Let's read the verse 43 of chapter 11. It says, then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. As I mentioned last week, Rehoboam is the only one. He has a thousand women you know he's got to have probably thousands of kids, certainly hundreds of kids. And this is the only one of Solomon's children mentioned anywhere in the Bible, which tells you he had a lot of kids, but they were not very fruitful and not being used mightily by the Lord. It says, verse 1, and Rehoboam, verse 1, we're going to look at his oak, yoke as easy his burden as light. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So his dad dies. It's time to coronate, you know, have the coronation of the new king. Shechem is in a very central place in Israel. It makes sense that they would gather from all of Israel. And he's, you know, he's showing up just assuming that he's going to be made king over all of Israel. King Saul was publicly made king in Mizpah. King David was made king in Hebron. Solomon was made king in Jerusalem. And Rehoboam goes to Shechem again because of its centrality. It was one of the cities of refuge. If you guys were here, uh, Farther back in the Old Testament, a city of refuge was a place where someone who had, who had committed a, a crime, specifically manslaughter, killed someone by accident, they could run there to find justice. And as long as they stayed in the city of refuge, they were safe. And they stayed in the city of refuge until the uh, current uh, king died and then they could go free. So this is one of those cities is where Gideon's son Abimelech tried to become king. And Rehoboam, again, evidently the rightful heir travels to Shechem as all of Israel has gathered together for his coronation. Now, Rehoboam seems to believe that all 12 tribes will be his. So it sounds like not only was Solomon a bad king, I believe he was also a bad dad. And because we don't see his kids being mentioned much in scripture at all outside Rehoboam. And Rehoboam doesn't even understand that he's not getting the whole kingdom. Because when Solomon was told it was torn from him, it doesn't seem that he passed that on to his son. So either Solomon didn't pass it on to him, or Rehoboam chose to ignore what his father told him. In either case, it reveals a lack of reverence for God's word. When God says it, that's it. Can I get an Amen. When God says this is going to happen, there's no way God had made the promise to him. This is what's going to take place. And so because of that, he should have been aware and trusted that. Verse 2, so it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, had been dwelling in Egypt. Now remember, Jeroboam was approached by Ahijah. And Ahijah came to him. He was a prophet. If you remember, they met in the field. And Jeroboam was wearing a new coat and he took his coat off, tore it in 12 pieces, and then told him to pick up 10 pieces and told him that he would have 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel where he would rule. But after that happened, we know that Solomon heard and Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam. So Jeroboam ran to Egypt and hid there and he's been hiding there. And now Solomon is dead. So Jeroboam knows May, well, thinks at least that it's safe to come out and he's going to come back down uh, amongst it, the people of Israel. And so Jeroboam hears that not only is Solomon dead, but Rehoboam is going to shuck him to be coronated as the king over all 12 tribes. Well, wait a minute, God had told him he was going to take 10 of the tribes. Now, one of the things I like about Jeroboam, there's not much I like about him in this chapter. You're going to find out. But he doesn't force the issue. Kind of reminds me of King David. You know, King David was anointed king as a teenager, even before he fought Goliath. So he was anointed the king of Israel, and yet he never took the kingdom by force. He he said, God is the one who's going to raise me up. God raised up Saul. He'll bring Saul down, and God will be the one that raises me up. And even when Saul was chasing him and throwing spears at him, even when he was in the cave and he had a chance to kill him, he didn't do it and he left it in God's hands. And to some degree, we're going to see Jeroboam doing the same. It says there in verse three, that they sent and called him, people of Israel called him. Then Jeroboam and his whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. So not only does Jeroboam show up, but he's going to speak on behalf of the people. So Solomon has died. We've got a new king. And He's going to come and speak on behalf of the people. And this is what a good leader does. My son-in-law took over a church that had been there for 30-something years. And he took over from a pastor who'd been there the entire time. And as a new pastor, things are going to be a little different. Well what not for one thing the, the outgoing pastor was almost was like in his late 70s and and kevin was thirty one years old so yeah, things are going to change. But what I love about it is that you know he took the time to let people know who he was and to find out about them and, and you know and that 's what a good leader does. He finds out the heart of the people he is going to minister to now the message isn 't going to change but we want to have a heart for the people God's given us to minister to. Then in verse four, it says, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us and we will serve you. Here's the reality. The reason Solomon was wealthy. Now God was going to bless him anyway, but Solomon put a heavy burden on his people. He was taxing them into the ground. And along with that, he had a forced labor force where he would just enlist people and they would have to serve him in building his building. So he was a very, now I'm not talking about the temple. The temple was commanded by God, but we know his own palace was several times larger than the temple. So his house was bigger than God's house. Remember David, the reason he wanted to build a temple, he said, how can I be in a palace and the Lord's in a tent? He wanted the Lord's house to be greater than his own. Solomon was taking advantage of his position and he was taxing the people into the ground. And this is what can happen. There's nothing new under the sun. Sometimes people, and there's nothing wrong with government jobs, but sometimes people in the government lose sight of what's going on with the people. Can I get an amen to that? And because they're paid no matter what. And they escape all the issues no matter what. And so we're going to find out that Rehoboam and his buddies are very wealthy. And they're totally detached from the people. And we're going to see how they treat the people. You know what? Government is supposed to serve us, not the other way around. Can I get an amen to that? And here's the, here's the exhortation that we're going to see. There's nothing new under the sun. This is 3,000 years ago. And there's a problem. And the problem here is that Rehoboam is going to follow in his father's footsteps. And it's actually tragic. So they, they come to the new king and they say, hey, we are overwhelmed. We are burdened with taxes. We're already the richest nation in the world. I mean, there's gold everywhere. Gold, there was so much gold that silver was referred to as rocks or stones of no value. They, they, they had more military than anybody else. And you know, he had, a, had to have a great amount of wealth because he had a thousand wives and had probably hundreds, if not thousands of children that he had to support. Where's all that money coming from? It's coming off the backs of the people. And so the people come to the new king and Jeroboam is their spokesman. And it's just this simple. Hey, if you could lighten the burned on us, we will serve you forever. Sounds like a deal to me. Amen. He wants to win favor with the people be so easy to do that. It'd be so easy to show them some grace. Again, there's a reason why the military was strong and there was so much excess of gold. And again, it came on the backs of the people. So Jeroboam, though already told by God through the prophet Elijah that He would rule over 10 tribes, did not press the issue, did not stir up the uprising. He trusted that God would bring about his will in his time. And again, reminds me of King David. That's a great lesson for all of us. You know, if you have to strive to make it happen, you're going to have to strive to keep it going. Amen. If God calls you, he will sustain you. That's why I don't call people to do things. Because if I call you, I will have to sustain you. You'll get tired of it. You'll quit. We'll be frustrated. If God calls you, God will sustain you. Amen? And so Jeroboam is waiting upon the Lord and his perfect timing. And he went on to say that he would serve, that they would serve him. Verse 5: So he said to them, Depart from me three days and come back to me. And the people departed. Now, I like this. The king's using some wisdom. He's a brand new king. By the way, he's not a young man. He's 41 years old. We know that because Solomon reigned for, you know, how we know based on how long Solomon reigned that he had a son right before that. So he's 41 years old, basically. He's not a kid. He's not a teenager. He's, wa- he's watched how his father has led, you know, his entire life. His father's been the king basically his entire life. And he says, go away for three days and he's going to seek godly counsel. That, or he's going to seek counsel. And that's, that's a wonderful thing to do. Anybody who thinks they're smarter, look, here's the reality. There's not one person on this planet that you're smarter than in everything. Can I get an amen to that? There's something where they know more than you do. And certainly you, you think you're smarter than everybody in the room. You're an idiot. Can I get an amen to that? And that's arrogance, amen? And so it's smart to seek counsel. It's smart to go, to, and it's biblical, Go get counsel. Point number two, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Now watch. Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? Great question and the right people. He goes and finds people that have had some experience. He goes and finds the elders, right? And assumedly spiritually mature among them and he brings them together and he shares with them what was asked of the people as they all came before his coronation and said, could you lighten the burden on us? Could you lighten, you know, the, the, the mandatory labor? Could you lower our taxes so we can provide for our families? If you will do that, we will serve you forever. And they, he goes and says, how do you, how should I talk to these people? Now, the one thing I don't like about that verse. He just says, these people. That sounds kind of disrespectful to me. I would say the people or the people I'm blessed to, to lead. Or, But he calls them these people. And I, I think already we're finding out that Rehoboam has been... Do you think Rehoboam had any money? What do you think? He's Solomon's son. Do you think he ever wanted for anything in his life? Never. I doubt he knows what a shovel looks like. Can I get an amen? I don't think he's done any work in his life. And I think when you're raised that way, sometimes if you're not careful, you look down on everybody else. And he refers to the people he's called to rule over, the people who are, he's going to be the king over. And he refers to them as, how do you advise me to answer these people? Lord, help. Help. We refer to someone that you care about different than that. Verse 7. And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a what? What, what does it say? If you'll be a what? Servant. servant. Now that's why one of the reasons I titled the message, servant leadership. He says, if you will be a servant to these people today, serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. You know what? Wonderful counsel. So what he's saying is, if you will be a servant to them. Don't act like, like they are here to serve you. You are here to serve them. That might be foreign words to him, but what, what great counsel. And notice he says, too, to speak good words. He means to speak to them with kindness, to not be arrogant, to not lord it over people, to not be act like you know that you're greater than them because the position that you hold. By the way, any position we have of any kind was given to us by the Lord, and the Lord alone should get all the glory. Can I get an amen to that? And so, if you're the boss at work, you treat your people with kindness, you treat people with with, with respect, you talk to them in a way. That again, would honor the Lord, serve them, speak kindly to them, honor their requests, lower their taxes, remove the labor, remove the burden, and they will serve you forever. And again, servant leadership is a biblical principle. If a man will not serve others, he should never be put into a position of leadership, especially in the body of Christ. So Rehoboam receives good godly counsel, and godly counsel is to go and serve the people. You know this is pretty good advice. It sounds like something Jesus would say because he did. It says in Mark 10, "So Jesus called them together and said, "You know that the rulers of this world lorded over people." And the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it must be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to everyone else. For even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the ultimate example of a servant leader. Can I get an amen? And so we need to follow his example. So he's just received great advice. He's been king. He's just about to be coronated. He's been coordinated king. He's the new king. He has a simple request from his people. They're not asking him to stop taxing them. He says, can you just cut us some slack? Can you take away some of the burden? You know, your, your father was heavy on us for so long. His yoke is easy. His burden is light is what it should be. And notice what it says. Verse eight. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men he had grown up with who stood before him. He gets godly counsel from godly men, older men with great wisdom, men who had counseled his dad who was the wisest man on the planet. And he says, yeah, no thanks. That's not the answer I was looking for. Let me go find my bros. Let me go find my buddies and see what they think. Let me go find the rest of the self-entitled self-indulgent being, you know, given everything without having to work and ask those guys how we should treat the people we're going to serve. These are going to be people that no doubt he has serving with him somehow in his, you know, in his government. And these guys are all on that same page of how they look at other people. So he gets godly counsel and now he's going to run to his buddies. Now, again, Be careful who you get counsel from. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen. And if you listen to the world and be careful where your counselor finds the, the information to counsel you. First of all, they should be filled with the Holy Spirit or I don't want to hear what they got to say. Can I get an amen to that? The word of God is the final court of authority, not the, you know, I don't care what Jung or Freud think they're burning in hell, dead atheists. I pray they got saved in the last day of their life. But if they didn't, can I get an amen? So I don't care what they think. Well, Freud, and Young, I don't want, they think Freud said, everybody wants to sleep with their mother. We already know how perverted that guy is. So get him out of the room, right? But the reality is that people will go, will run to their counselor to get counsel. Guys, he, the mighty counselor is the Lord, And we get our counsel from the word of God and the people of God. Can I get an amen? So he's received that counsel and now he's going to run to his buddies. What do you think? What do you think we should do? Goes to his peers. Again, wealthy, privileged, separated from the hardships of the people. And again, these guys are not children. They're in their 40s. But he's gonna go seek counsel from the ungodly. And guess what? When you go to an ungodly counselor, you get ungodly counsel. Amen? Now he says to them, verse 9, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who has spoken to me, saying, Look, the, the yoke which your father put on us, look, look, let's lighten, lighten the yoke, excuse me, that your father put on us. So again, this is reasonable. How are the young men gonna respond? The young man who had grown up with them spoke to him, saying, This you should speak to this people, who you have spoken to, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter, will you make it lighter on us? Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. You know what he's saying? The weight I'm gonna put on you. It's gonna make my little finger feel heavier than the core of my dad's whole body. You think that you were under a heavy burden before, you ain't seen nothing yet. I wonder if the people are how they're gonna respond to this. Are they all gonna rejoice? Is there gonna be a parade? They're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be rejoicing in his name. They're gonna find out this is the guy they don't want. And you know what? God knew he was going to be like this. And God's already had a plan that he's not going to last long, at least over all 12 kingdoms. You thought my dad was wrong, was bad. You ain't seen nothing yet. He's putting the people in their place. He's not serving them. He's speaking down to them. He's not being kind and gracious. He's, dis- he's disregarding the godly counsel. What did he say in the godly counsel? Tell him you will serve them. No, nope, you're going to serve me. And you think you were serving before you? I haven't seen anything yet. Wow. Also, he's telling them, he said, speak good words. There's no kindness in these words. He's speaking harshly to them. By the way, one of the biggest things we all could, could learn from, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. The Bible says you don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. When I'm counseling people, one of the things I always talk about is tone. Can I get an amen? Be kind, be loving be gracious. Ungodly leadership esteems themselves greater than others. They're arrogant. They're belittling. They're prideful. Don't you hate pride in other people? (laughs) Amen. We all struggle with it to some degree, but when you see it, it's just nauseating. I just, when someone's arrogant, it just like, you know, I'll pray for you, but leave me alone. You know what I mean? And, and and so now this guy is going to be ruling over you. And you've had this hope that, well, maybe now that Solomon's gone, we'll get a break. You know, maybe maybe we want the burden. And now he tells you, no, the burden's going to be much greater. You think the burden you had before, you ain't seen nothing yet. The Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This man is arrogant. He's going to find out if that's not going to get a good response. Look what it says. He's going to elaborate. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Now, a whip has only one leather strap. And so a whip is one strap hitting you on your back. Now, how many of you guys saw the passion of the Christ? Okay, you saw the scourging scene. Tell me that's just not gnarly. It's hard to endure watching it. Can I get an amen to that? It's just hard to do. Like, can this just stop already? Can this be over? Because it's a cat of nine tails, not one strap, nine straps. And each strap has, has glass and metal and, uh, you know, and, and all these sharp things on it rocks. And what they do is they take it and they pull it back and it grabs in 30 different places. And when it pulls back, it's pulling your skin away. Uh, The word in the old uh, King James is scorpions. I'll give you scorpions because they would put them on the ends and they would sting like a scorpion because of all the metal and all the glass and stuff that was on the edges of each of those straps. And so he's saying, look, he punished you with a whip. I'm bringing out the scourge. You think it's been heavy. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wouldn't you be really excited to serve this king? Be careful what you listen to. I think we need to be careful that we don't simply surround ourselves the people who always tell us what we want to hear. He is bringing this heaviness down on the people because he heeded the counsel of his ungodly peers instead of heeding the counsel of his godly peers. Elders, and again, sometimes it's the people who love us the most that are willing to risk telling us something we don't want to hear. It says in Proverbs, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We need people who love us enough to tell us the truth when we don't even want to hear it. Amen. Christians stab each other in the front. You've heard me say that, right? and tell each other the truth. So point number one in servant leadership, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. True leaders are a blessing, not a burden to others. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. It's very obvious here that King Rehoboam has not learned this. So now watch. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed to come back to me The third day, so they had shared their hearts with him. There's a huge group coming back from Israel. Jeroboam is their their spokesman, but there's a huge group of them all gathered together to hear what their new king has to say. And what does Rehoboam say? Says there in verse thirteen, then the king answered the people roughly, and rejected the advice which the elders. Had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Naboth. Now, God's going to bring about what he had already told Jeroboam about taking. 10 of the tribes and giving them to him and they will be removed from Rehoboam. And some will say, well, God knew that he was going to do that. So did he force Rehoboam to act in the way he acted? The answer is no. Does God know? And do we have free will at the same time? What's the answer? They're both true. Amen. Just because someone has free will doesn't mean God doesn't know. And doesn't mean because God knows that we don't have free will. They're both. The Bible teaches both. The sovereignty of God. And the free will of man. I will meet people who are of a certain persuasion. and will say, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Well, then you don't believe in the free will of man. That's just nonsense. I believe in both. The Bible teaches them both. Amen? So Rehoboam had free will. God knew the choice he was going to make. And now he is going to lose the 10 tribes that God said would be taken from him and given to uh, Jeroboam. Rehoboam's poor judgment became the thing that God would use and again, does, he let, does this let Rehoboam off the, off, the, um, off the hook for his poor judgment? Not at all. So Rehoboam not only rejected what, was asked, what, was at, what he was asked for, he told the people that he was supposed to serve with arrogance, bitterness, and disrespect. And again, because of the ungodly counsel he received. I've been with, I've been with guys at work. And we go to lunch or something, and one guy's going through difficulty in his marriage, and he's telling his buddy. His buddy, he's like, "I just leave her, man. I just, I'd leave. I'd go home and leave her, and make sure you hide your money and do this." I'm sitting there going, "Dude, really? God hates divorce. How about that? Can I get an amen?" and God has not called you to do that and you give him godly counsel and the world thinks you're crazy and that's exactly what's happened here he got godly counsel that if he had followed he would have been the king over all 12 tribes he would have they would have they would have you know served him forever and because he's arrogant because he doesn't receive godly counsel how much we see any praying Rehoboam here. We know from Chronicles, it says that Rehoboam turned his back on God and had nothing to do with God. So he's going to be a godless man. And sadly, he learned that largely from his father, who was building altars to all the false gods on the Mount of Olives right across from the temple he had built for the Lord. And so his choices have had consequences. No prayer do we see from Rehoboam anywhere. No no time in the word. He rejects godly counsel. He follows ungodly counsel. And again, who's influencing your life? Is it God and his word and godly counsel? Or is it the world? The end result, what God had prophesied would come to pass is going to come to pass. God knew it was going to happen. And he used Rehoboam's arrogance, selfishness, and his disobedience to bring about his perfect will. Point number four, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he didn't listen, and God's going to use his disobedience to bring about his perfect will. Verse 16, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to him, the people answered the king saying, saying, what share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. Here's what he's saying. David, King David, is of the tribe of Judah, as is Solomon, obviously, and Rehoboam. And these are people from the other 10 tribes. And what they're basically telling them is, Israel, we're going to return to our land and you can go down to your little tribe down in the south. So if, when you read the Bible, it can be confusing because it talks about Israel. And prior to this, Israel is all 12, 12 tribes. Going forward, when you hear Israel, it's the 10 tribes in the north. And then you hear Judah, and it's the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin. And that's the area where Jerusalem is. So from this point forward, when you hear Israel, it's not all 12 tribes. It's not the entire area that God had given them in the land of promise. It's just the northern 10 tribes. So it's Israel and Judah. They become separate kingdoms and they're going to stay separate for hundreds of years. And eventually they're all going to be taken into captivity. The northern kingdom first by Assyria and then eventually Judah by Babylon. And we're going to see that They're going to get further and further away from God as time goes on. There are going to be some godly leaders that show up from time to time, but largely they're not walking with the Lord. So Rehoboam's arrogance, brutal tactics lead to the rebellion of the people. They all turn away and go home. They go back to Israel. You know what? A real leader will be revealed that people will follow. Amen? Okay, you're the king of no people. How's that working out? You, you told the people you were going to put a heavier weight on them. You told the people that you were going to rule them harshly. You were arrogant. You were self-righteous. And you know what they did? They just left. Not serving you, dude. I'm out. And they went home. And they were not going to honor him as their king. And you know what? It's because of the way he treated them. Rehoboam cannot lead without people. And he cannot lead people if he doesn't have the heart of a servant if he doesn't treat them with kindness. You know what I've found? When I've had, you know, you've heard the carrot or the stick, right? You heard of that? Can lead with a carrot or a stick? A carrot is where you put the carrot out in front of the mule, and he's chasing after the carrot. You know, he wants the reward, so he performs. And the stick is, you just beat the tar out of the mule, so he'll keep moving. And I have managers that have, there's some that like to, encourage you by giving you incentives. And there's others that if you don't do enough, they're going to punish you until, until you're miserable. And you know, the reality is that doesn't work too well. You don't really have much of relationship. You know, that's not how God leads us. Now look, he's a, he's a loving, gracious, merciful God. And he's also a holy God. He's also righteous and just And those who he loves. He disciplines, but he disciplines us because he loves us. Can I get an amen to that? And, it's, and the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we see that his anger and his arrogance, how the people are responding to it. It says, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of where? Judah. So he's only reigning over the, the two southernmost tribes and the other 10 tribes have left him and gone back home. Now watch. He doesn't give up though, because in his arrogance, he thinks he can still win the battle and watch what he does. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, Last guy he should have sent. Let me tell you who this guy is. This is the guy who was in charge of collecting taxes and the labor force. The two very things they said were too heavy on them. Can you please lighten up the taxes? You're killing us. And can you lighten up putting us to forced labor? And can you allow us to have you know, can you bless us? And we we will serve you forever. So he sends up to the 10 tribes that have left. He sends up his guy to collect taxes and to enlist people to be in the labor force that they've just rejected and walked away from. Let's see how that works out. It says, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. See, when you, the anger of man does not produce a righteousness of God. And when you mistreat people, and when you talk to them with arrogance and anger, and you don't lead them with the heart of a servant, there's going to come a time when they're going to fight back. Now, again, as Christians, we, you know, we... Leave that vengeance to the Lord. But when you're dealing with the world, look at our own country. We've seen some has, there been some, has there been a few riots in the last four years? Penny issues going on. People don't agree, so they fight back. And again, it's not the godly way to respond. But this is what happens when you lead in an ungodly way. Amen. And, there, and, and the way he responded to the people is they wanted no part of him. They would rather face whatever the consequences will be by for stoning this man to death than go serve this king who is treating them so harshly. Notice it said they stoned him to death. It said, therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste and fled to Jerusalem. I guess so. Finally, he's getting it. Um, I don't think these people are going to change their minds. I think the way that I responded was a bad idea and I'm in trouble. And so he literally Runs to Jerusalem, but he's not done yet. He's going to try one more time and he, he won't let it go. So Adoram is a tax collector sent by Rehoboam again to collect the heavier taxes from the 10 tribes in the north that had gone home and they stoned him to death. And again, so much for Rehoboam's arrogant threats. How's that heavy thumb working out for you right about now? This guy was lot with words, but he was not a man who could follow through? Verse 19 it says there, So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. From this point on, again, the kingdom is going to be known as Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And this is, he's been king what? We don't know how long? A day? Two days? And his arrogance and his ungodly response and him rejecting godly counsel and going with the counsel of the world and coming down heavy on the people divided the nation in half and it would not come back together again. And they're going to be, and again, they're going to end up in in Babylon. They're not going to be brought back together again until all that's over with. And all that because he would not heed godly counsel. Guys, the reason godly counsel is so important it's, it's a warning that comes from God that if you don't obey it, the consequences are going to be heavy. And too often, I just want to jump up and down sometimes when I'm counseling people. And I've had to be counseled myself. I'm far from perfect. But when we're counseling people and you know what the consequences are going to be and you can see it coming and you warn them, you feel like you're jumping up and down. You want to shout at them with a megaphone. You know it's coming and they just say, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. And sure enough, you fast forward and their lives are a disaster. Families are destroyed. Can't be rebuilt. Can't get it back together. Why? Because they look at godly counsel and say, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go my own way. And that's exactly what Rehoboam had done. Now, guess what? Jeroboam's a mess too. This, this is, they went out of the frying pan and into the fire in some ways. So notice what it says here in verse 20. Now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So the 10 tribes immediately lined up behind Jeroboam. Why? Because Jeroboam had spoken on their behalf. Jeroboam had sought to have their taxes lowered. Jeroboam had sought to get them freedom from forced labor. Jeroboam was speaking on their behalf and seeking to bless them when Rehoboam was seeking to enslave them and put a heavy weight upon them. And because of that, they wanted nothing to do with them. And they went out and lined up behind Jeroboam. Now Jeroboam becomes the king. How do you think Rehoboam, Rehoboam feels not long after his coronation, to find out they've got a king in the 10 tribes and I'm limited to these two tribes down here. Think he's happy about it? You think he's going to take it sitting down? Or do you think that in his arrogance, he is going to lash out? Again, it's amazing how even when you see what happens when you listen to ungodly counsel or you see what happens when you walk in disobedience to the word of God, Often you'll do it again and again and again and again. And too often we don't learn the lesson the first time. Watch what happens. Verse 21, we must obey God rather than man. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah And the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam the son of Solomon. He's gonna get 180,000, he gets 180,000 of his warriors to go start a civil war to try and get back the rest of the kingdom. That he could have had if he had simply had the heart of a servant and given them the very small requests that they had to lower their taxes, take some of the labor from them. And if he had just had the heart of a servant, if he'd heed the counsel of the elders, if he had the heart, he said, have the heart of a servant, speak to them kindly, show them some respect, be kind to them, lead them in a godly way. They will follow you forever. He listens to the his young buddies, he says, My finger's going to be heavier than my dad's waist. I'm going to, you don't, you haven't seen what it means to be under someone's thumb. You have no idea how heavy your taxes are going to be. It's going to be harder than anything you've ever seen. And now because of that arrogance, because of that disobedience, because he did not heed godly counsel, now he's going to have to go to war and risk the lives of all his people to try to get back what he could have had if he had simply listened to godly counsel and been a servant and been kind. That's a good lesson for all of us to learn. Can I get an amen? Sometimes we look at the situation we're in and it's difficult and we just want to get out, but it's contrary to God's will. I want to tell you, you're going to look back and realize it would have been better to fix that because now it's going to be even more difficult to bring back what I had before. Now watch, he mounts up this army, 180,000 warriors, and it says there, but the word of God came to Shimmiyah the man of God saying speak to Rehoboam the son of Solomon king of Judah to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people saying thus says the Lord you shall not go up and fight against your brethren the children of Israel lest every man return to his let every man return to his own house for this thing is from me So he gets godly counsel. Now he's had godly counsel before and he didn't listen. Here's the major difference this time. Here's the major difference. All the people who are about to go into battle are hearing it too. The 180,000 guys are about to go out and fight are hearing it too. It's not just Rehoboam talking to his buddies and talking to a few people and then going and making a decision. The entire army that's about to go fight Israel is told by a man of God that God doesn't want you to do this. God has commanded that you don't do this. God has commanded that you obey him. I think if it was Rehoboam by himself, he probably would have, if he was the only one that heard it, he probably would have taken him up there anyway. But now he has accountability whether he wants it or not. And I have an idea, you know, if you're about to fight a battle and God says, yeah, don't do that. I don't want you going there. By the way, it's not going to end well if you do. Hey, I'm out. I'm going home. (laughs) I'm going to go have dinner with my wife. I'm out. I'm not doing it. God said, no, I'm out. And praise God that those people listened even when their king wouldn't. And guys, that's an example for us that we may have a government that's not listening to God, but we need to obey him anyway. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we need to pray for our president. Can I get an amen to that? First bills he signs is, you know, abortion up till we're going to pay for abortions in foreign countries. We, we, and then he, he put somebody in a foreign policy position that's, that's had a hatred for Israel and been pro-Palestine. And the Bible tells us that we need to be pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. Can I get an amen to that? And we cease to be pro-Israel and we're pro-baby killing. To this point, it's just plain evil. But we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God and we need to pray for them. And we're called to be salt and light in the midst of it. Can I get an amen to that? So we need to be salt and light. We need to pray for him. We need to be the ones who point people to the Lord in the midst of it. Well, here's Rehoboam. And like I said, it doesn't tell us that there for sure. That's some of my own perspective. But the fact that it makes it clear into all the house of Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people. So everybody's hearing it. They all hear the warning coming from God. Keep in mind, these are people you know, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The temple's been built in Jerusalem. They've been worshiping God in the temple. They have a love for the true and living God. They get a warning from God. They're not going. And because of it, notice what it says there. Therefore, they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. Praise God for people around us that will obey God even when we're not willing to. Can I get an amen to that? Praise God for the ones who say, I don't care what, you, I'm not going, bro. I'm not doing that. I'm out. I want no part of that. And praise God for someone who will stand up for the truth and stand up for holiness when nobody else will. And won't be self-righteous or arrogant. All they did was say, look what it says there. You shall not go and let every man return to his house. Therefore, they obeyed the word of the God, Of God, turned back according to what God said. That's good enough for me. And they all went home. So Rehoboam's going to have to go and fight him by himself. So he's going to let it go, at least for the time being. We must obey God rather than man. What a great example right here. Rehoboam's probably going, we're going anyway. Dude, did you hear what God said? I'm not going. I don't care what the king says if he disobeys with what God says. Can I get an Amen. It doesn't matter what the world says. if they Look, diso- no, we obey those in authority over us until they tell us to disobey God. And then we obey God rather than man. Can I get an amen? amen? We obey and honor our boss until he tells me to do something ungodly. If he tells me to cheat or lie or steal, I'm out. I don't obey him anymore. I don't honor him anymore. I honor the Lord and his word. We obey God rather than man. That's what we need to do. Now, finally, this last point here. Again, we must obey God rather than man. And we must fear God, not man. Now watch what happens. Jeroboam, you think, well, here's a guy that he seemed to have come to the rescue. And the prophet is the one that saw him walking through the field and tore his coat and told him he was going to get the 10 northern kingdoms. He's also the guy that came and didn't demand his position. He even told King Rehoboam, if you will just give us these few things, we will serve you forever. So he seems to be humble He seems not to be forcing his way into what God wants. He figures God will give it to him in God's perfect timing. They have now made him the king of all of Israel. Certainly he's going to be a godly example. Certainly he's going to be the one that's so much better than Rehoboam. Ah, look what it says. Verse 25. This is tragic. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. And went out from there and built Penuel. So Shechem is the place where Rehoboam had gone to be coronated. And now Jeroboam is making this the capital of Israel, the the ten uh, northern tribes. So he builds it. Penuel, by by the way, is... uh, is the place where Jacob wrestled with the Lord and it is across the Jordan from Shechem. And it's where, you know, he wrestled with the Lord and wouldn't let go of the Lord. And it's just outside. And, he, and he's going to build kind of his, uh, a fortified city on the Eastern side of Jordan so they could see enemies coming. Now watch this. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David if these people go to offer sacrifices at the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So here's what he's saying. Three times a year, they were to go to Jerusalem, minimum. Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, who came right after the Day of Atonement. So three times a year, they would be picking up going down to Jerusalem, they're making sacrifices and worshiping the Lord. Now Jeroboam becomes uneasy because he thinks, well, if they go down to Jerusalem to make sacrifices and to worship God down there, they may never come back. And so I got to figure out a way to keep them from going down there because I don't want to lose my people. Now Jeroboam is making this about himself. Now I'm going to share something with you that you probably already know, but it's tragic, but it's absolutely true. A lot of pastors I know are scared to death of losing their people. Now we never use this term in Calvary Chapel, but I heard it when I was in the Baptist. They used to say you count the nickels and the noses. And that means the number of people that are there and how much money's being given. And there were pastors when I was in Santa Cruz that I was constantly trying to do things with all the churches in town. I'm like, look, we live in a pretty godless place. Santa Cruz means Holy Cross, but it's a tofu tie-dye, New Age lesbian capital of the United States, and it needs Jesus, amen? And I happened to pastor a church that was growing and God was blessing. And I would meet with the pastors and say, hey, why don't we do an all-county baptism? Wouldn't that be great? Because we would do it and invite other Calvary chapels. And there were times we'd have thousands of people on the beach and be on the pape, in the paper. So I'm like, why don't we do an all-county baptism? And you'd have a bunch of guys go, oh no, we can't do that. I said, why not? Why can't we? Are we we brothers in Christ? Well, you know, we got 20 people in our church. And if they show up there and see all those Christians, they're going to be attracted to that. They might leave. And if they leave, I won't have enough tithes to pay my salary. We can't do that. You're more concerned. And here's the reality. I, would even, I remember one time I even said, and it was myself and the, the, uh, the, uh, a church that was much larger than ours that was in town. And it was kind of a seeker-sensitive church. I even said, you know what would be awesome this year at Easter? Let's get the football stadium, and let's bring every church in Santa Cruz together. Wouldn't it be awesome to have you know, 25,000 people worshiping Jesus together? How amazing would that be? Oh, the other, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. Why can't we do that? Well, if they hear you teach, they'll go to your church. I said, then you teach. Well, they hear your worship team, then your worship team can play. And the problem is that there's this mentality that we own the sheep or we own the people. They're, they're all God's people. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that if you're called, if you're truly called and you know God's called you, then you know God is the one who will sustain the ministry. And you don't have to make a bunch of compromises and be scared to death that the people might go to the church down the street. Oh, they're stealing my sheep. Sheep can't be stole that are being fed well. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Sheep that are getting fed well, don't, don't jump the fence to dry grass. Can I get an amen? And so the reality is, love the people, feed the people. And you know what? Here's If you feel called to go to another church, God bless you because we're all one church. And we all serve the same God. Can I get an amen? Now, I'm talking about evangelical preaching Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead churches. Can I get an Amen. But there's this fear. And I've met pastors that are scared to death. That's another great thing about having a full... I'm not worried about any. I'm, I'm just... I'm going to... Look, I love you enough to preach the truth to you, even if it means you don't come back. Amen? Because I love you enough to tell you the truth. Amen? Anybody's known me a, a minute and a half, you know I'm not shy. <laughs> Amen? But I do because I love you and because I love the Lord. Amen? And sadly... Jeroboam's falling into the same trap that a lot of leaders and churches do today. They're more worried about holding on to their people than God being glorified. They're more worried about growing their church than growing the kingdom of God. They're more worried about the number of people and seats than making disciples. And why does that happen? Because they're they're doing ministry in their own strength, in their flesh, instead of being called by and led by and filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen and we see this exhortation, and Jeroboam's like, dude, they can't, they can't be going to Jerusalem. I mean, the temple's down in Jerusalem. We don't have a temple. They're going to go down there, and they're going to they're be homesick, and they're going to want to stay down there, and I'm going to lose my people. And you know what? If they start siding with Rehoboam, then they're going to come up here and assassinate me and make him the king of all 12 tribes. Guys, we don't have to worry... God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen. And if you walk in fear, you'll, you'll have no impact on the kingdom of God. God will not use you if you're scared to death to do anything. Can I get an amen? We, got, we, got to be, we need to be ruled by faith, not by fear. I love, there's a reason why I went to Santa Cruz and then Calabasas. I love to go to places nobody else wants to go. I love to go to places where people say, if you go there, the church will die. Because then when God does something great, God gets all the glory. Can I get an amen? amen? And our God is a great and an awesome God. So this newly placed king called by God to rule over Israel, instead of seeking godly wisdom and direction, Jeroboam, do we see Jeroboam on his knees? Nope. What does he do? He, the Bible tells us that the fear of man is a snare. And he begins to fear. And he begins to be in a position where it's, it's locking him up. And, and it's just tragic what he's going to do. It's, it gets a hundred times worse. So he doesn't want him going down there. They're going to kill me. Again, Jeroboam gets thinking about uh, what is going to happen in the next great feast day. Then all the men of Israel will go and they're going to come back and they're going to kill me. Just follow God. Can I get an amen to that? Just follow the Lord. Just obey the Lord. Just do what he's called you to do. It's a get to, not a have to, to serve the Lord. Can I get an amen? That whatever God has called you to do, do it the best. We're always blessed with snacks because we got someone called. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're blessed, right? But when we do things, we whatever God calls you to do, do it well. Amen. Do it for the glory and the honor of the Lord. And don't do it because you're afraid of what men will think of you. I'm not that worried about what men think. I'm focused on what God says. Amen? And being obedient to him. Now watch what he does. And this is the same thing that people do today to try to hold on to a crowd. Therefore, this is so tragic. The king asked advice and made what? Two calves of gold. Really? Have you read the Bible? Hey, Jeroboam, someone else made a couple of gold calves. How'd that work out? Duh. Isn't it tragic how if we don't study the word of God, we will repeat the same mistakes the people in the word of God have made. Guys, we need to know what the word of God says. Experience is the best teacher. It doesn't have to be our experience. We can learn from the experience of others. He makes two golden calves. And it says, and he said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. How many mistakes were in that sentence? First of all, who delivered them out of Egypt? God did, and he used Moses, and he brought plagues upon the people, and then Passover, the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, the angel of death passed over, the people came out of the land, and then he opened up the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. They came across the Red Sea. Moses is up on Mount Sinai, hanging out with God for 40 days. He gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes down to the bottom of the hill, and what does he find the people doing? Dancing and worshiping a golden calf. And Moses breaks all Ten Commandments at once, amen? (laughs) He has to get another set of tablets. And God brings righteous judgment. Can I get an amen? And Aaron even says, oh, yeah, we just threw all the gold in and that calf popped out. Aaron was the high priest. Moses' assistant pastor made a golden calf because he he was gone for 40 days. I'm thankful when I had COVID for four weeks, I didn't come back to any golden calves. Can I get an amen? (laughs) We're firing everybody in Jesus' name. Amen? But the reality is this is so tragic and so sad that instead of running to God, remember where did Jeroboam hide out and where had he been staying because of his fear of Solomon? Where was he? He was in Egypt and he brings the gods of Egypt to Israel. We need to bring the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to Egypt. Can I get an amen? Egypt is a type or a picture of the world right? They escaped out of bondage of the world. When they were in Egypt, they were bound like we were before we were saved. And they were delivered out of bondage of blood of the lamb, the shape of a cross. The Red Sea could be a picture of water baptism as God brings us through it. God gives us the word. And so they had escaped out of bondage. So the king is bringing the world to God's people instead of God's people bringing God to the world. And sadly, that also happens in a lot of churches today. We need to be more like the world. We need a smoke machine, and we need the Flying Walendas. We need a petting zoo out in the parking lot, right? Big Macs for everybody at the door. We need to do whatever we can to get people to come. Let's go find out what they're looking for, and let's do that. Let's make it a rock concert, and then they'll all come. Instead of being faithful, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by? God's Word changes lives. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else, amen? And the Word of God needs to be the focal point when we gather Together. Jeroboam makes a golden calf. He tells the people, oh, you shouldn't have to travel that far. Here are your gods, which, you brought, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. By the way, do people lie about who God is and what he's done? Are there false teachers out there that tell you something contrary to the word of God? The only way you will know when someone is teaching you a false gospel is if you know the real gospel, amen? amen. People come and knock on your door, looking very nice and, you know, scrubbed and with a little name tag, and they're very nice. And I love to talk to them. They're false prophets. Can I get an amen? They're preaching a false, and we, we pray for them. We love them. We want to see them saved ever for the grace of God. But, but you know what? Just because someone has a title, just because somebody has a following does not mean they are preaching the truth. Amen. And we need to check it against: here's the new king. This is the king appointed by God, amen. And what does he do? He builds a golden calf. He said one, he set one up in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now, if you've ever, how many, anybody here been to Israel? Okay, if you've been to Israel, this is a frequent stop. Dan is the northernmost part of Israel. And if you've been to Israel, they take you to the headwaters uh, for the Jordan River, where the water comes right up out of the ground. But one of the places you go, and it's been uncovered, is the actual altar spot where they were worshiping these golden calves has been uncovered. It's 3,000 years old. Tell Tell Dan. And so you go to Dan, and you see... The actual, now they, they had a, when I was there, they had a metal version of what it would look like. And since then, they've uncovered it, and it's the actual one that was below it. And they, you can sit there and they teach this chapter about how they were worshiping golden calves in Israel 3,000 years ago on this very spot. So tragic. And that's ha- what happened because they had a king who was afraid if they went and worshiped the true God. He might lose the people. The focus wasn't on God. The focus was on him. And when you have a church with a pastor or you have someone who's leading people where the focus is on him and it's not on the Lord, he'll be afraid. He'll, he'll hinder you from growing spiritually. And he'll be more concerned about making a name for himself than making disciples for the kingdom of God. Amen. Again, the key is knowing you're called and then being faithful to your calling. And we are faithful to do what God has called us to do what well, people do is in God's hands, we can operate in faith, not fear. And sadly, we see that he is indeed walking in fear. He heeds ungodly counsel. He breaks the first two commandments. He makes two golden calves. He sells his new religion on the basis of convenience. Here's what he's saying. You don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Dan's just right up the road. You don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. Bethel is in the southern part. You, you, you don't have to drive. You don't have to drive all the way to church. Just watch TBN. You don't have to get up and go out in the rain to go to church. You can just flip something. So what, here's what happens. For the sake of convenience, people are he was making it easy for you. to Easier to worship a false idol than to worship the true and living God. And you know what? Some people are more concerned about convenience and being put out than obeying God. Here's the reality. The Bible says, if Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Anytime we take away any level of suffering on our behalf to make things easier for us, I think we've missed it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Show me somebody who's mightily in scripture. I'll show you somebody who suffered greatly. There are no uh, examples where that's not true. Daniel suffered greatly. Joseph suffered greatly. Moses suffered greatly. Abraham suffered. We go down the list. And we don't want to suffer at all. We want to be on the cruise ship to heaven. We want everything to be easy and simple. We're afraid of speaking up because someone might not like us. We're afraid of making a stand for the Lord when nobody else will. And it's so tragic to see this false gospel being brought forth and the people are going to fall for it because it's more convenient. It's easier than serving the true and living God. It's easier than taking that trip all the way down to Jerusalem. Jeroboam Jeroboam told why the kingdom was being torn away from Solomon. Aniagin had come to him and said, Solomon losing the kingdom because he's rebelled against God and he's worshiping false gods. And what does Jeroboam do? He hasn't been king very long. He's going to rebel against God and start serving false gods, just like Solomon did. He's not learning from the examples that have been shown to him. You know, sometimes when you become powerful, you think that, uh, you know, the rules don't, don't apply to you. All oh, those rules don't apply to me. Why? Well, because I'm in a position of power and authority. We should give God the glory and the honor. Let's finish up. Verse 30. Now this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. So now he starts making it even easier. He starts setting up altars all over Israel to make it easy to go worship these golden calves and the false gods. And we're going to find out in Chronicles that the Levites would have nothing to do with it. They all fled back to Jerusalem, or at least most of them did. They ran back to Jerusalem. So he didn't have any priests that would dare you know, make sacrifices to these golden calves. So he just starts appointing anybody he can find who's willing to do it. Instead of using someone who's called and gifted by God, they'll find a man who will allow them to worship the way that they want to. We've got a lot of people who are preaching a false gospel because they were not called by God and they're telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Amen? So Israel worships more convenient We see the struggle that's taking place last couple of verses. Then it says Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month. Like the feast that was in Judah, he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests and the high places where he had made. Here's what's happening. The feast of tabernacles came on the seventh month in the 15th day. And so he makes his own feast On the 8th month and the 15th day. So what he's doing is he's creating a foreign God. And here's a... And I know we might go over, over a minute. Here's the thing. It's raining out there anyway. Here's what's sad to me. None of this is in the Bible. It's condemned. Can I get an amen? And today, we have all these rules and rituals that people are doing that came from men that are nowhere in Scripture. Amen? We have churches... That are adding to the cross. Jesus plus, you must be baptized in our baptismal. Jesus plus, you must go through our all of you must keep all of our sacraments, or you're not going. Guys, if they add to the cross of Calvary, it's a false gospel. Amen. amen. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. These man made rituals, praying to saints, not in the Bible, venerating Mary and using her as co redemptions with Christ. It's not in the Word of God. Can I get an Amen? Pastors covered in ornaments and separated from the people and standing up in some high place and looking down. Nonsense, not in the scriptures. Can I get an amen? amen. Read the Bible. This is the ex- Acts 2.42. Read to the book of Acts. That's the example for what the church ought to be. And to set, now look, obviously I'm pointing partially to the Catholic church. I believe within the Catholic church, there are people who are saved but they're not saved because of the Catholic church they're saved in spite of the Catholic church. And there are people, you know, that are in churches that are not good. And, and by the grace of God, because they love the Lord. And maybe they're in a little village in Nicaragua and maybe that's the only, you know, they're in South America and they, and that's the only church in town and they go there and they love Jesus. But guys, we need to know what the word of God says. You know why the Protestant movement came Luther read the Bible and he went, what the, what, what are the world are we doing? And he went and nailed it on the door. And guys, we need to stand for the truth. And this is the sad part. They're worshiping golden calves. Most people in Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who led them through the wilderness for 40 years and dropped manna from the sky and kept their their clothes from falling apart. And their shoes grew with their feet. That's a God thing. Can I get an amen? And they come to the land of promise. He helps them wipe out all their enemies. He gives them victory in the land. And, and God moves mightily. They wipe out the Canaanites, and, they, you know, and God does a mighty work, and we see God showing up in a powerful way. He keeps giving them victories over all their enemies who come against them, and at the first opportunity, they start worshiping the golden calf and turn away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As, Mo, as Pastor Chuck used to say, a movement becomes a memorial, and their buildings become monuments and museums to what once was as soon as they get away from teaching the whole counsel of God and the power of the Holy spirit. Can I get an amen? And guys, we got to stay there. I know I'm a little fired up. Can I get an? It is what it is. Last verse. So he made offerings on the altar, which he made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month, which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burnt incense. Jeroboam is basically changing the word of God because he's changing what God had commanded and he's bringing in substitutes. And that's the exact same thing that continues to happen today. You know what? I'm thankful that my dad was a man who taught the whole counsel of God. I'm thankful that I had a mom who prayed for me. I'm thankful that I had many Christ-like examples. I'm thankful that I spent, uh, 10 years serving under John Snodley pouring into my life. Five years with Don McClure, pouring into my life. I'm thankful for the men who've spoken to my life and ministered to me. And I'm thankful that we are in a movement that by the grace of God, and that we don't esteem Calvary Chapel, we esteem Jesus Christ, amen? But I'm thankful that when people meet me they say, you're a Calvary pastor, oh, you're a Bible guy. Guy just told me that this week. Oh, you're a Bible guy. I said, I'll take that. (laughs) Can I get an amen to that? We're, we're Bible people. We, why? Because this is the word of God. And when we read it, we get to know the God of the word better. Amen. And to know him better is to love him more. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So servant leadership, his yoke is easy and his burden is, is light. A true leader should be a blessing to you. Not a burden, a blessing, but not a burden to others. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, Learn to be the servant of all. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. And those who are determined to do what they want will continue to seek counsel until they get what they want. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Love and respect are not demanded. They are earned. A soft answer turns away wrath. We must obey God rather than man. God God's word overrules the desires of the king. And finally, we fear God, not man. We must operate in faith and not fear. Trust in the calling that God has placed upon your life. And don't seek to please man. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you wrote it down for us. You preserved it for us. You gave it to us. You give us the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand it. And Lord, I pray... Oh, Lord, I pray that we would not compromise your word, that we would not water down the message, that we would not seek to be entertained, but hunger to be discipled, that we would desire to use the gifts you've given us for your kingdom and for your glory, to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Lord, we thank you that we're we're born again, new creations in Christ, that we have the promise of eternal life, that we're gonna close our eyes on earth and open them up in glory. But Lord, with the vapor of time we have left, Help us, Lord, to finish strong. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be unashamed of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to proclaim the truth to a world that so desperately needs you. I do pray for our president. I pray for our government. I pray for the the choices that are being made. Lord, I pray for revival in the churches in America. I pray we would not look to the White House, but look to the throne of grace. I pray, Lord, that you would give us divine appointments every day. Give us opportunities to share the truth and the hope that lies within us. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here tonight. May you bless them. May you strengthen them. May you pour out your Holy Spirit afresh upon them. Bless their marriages, bless their homes, provide for them, bless their children, be glorified in their lives. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said.